1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: On today's episode, we're going to talk about the five strategies that helped me take my buck during the peak rut this season. Hey, and welcome to the New Hunter's Guide, the podcast helping new hunters get started and helping active hunters learn new things. I'm your host, George Kanidis, and today I just I want to share with you guys the story, but also the strategies that enabled to take, enabled me to take my rut buck this year during the peak rut. Now, first of all, I'm going to give you some of the strategies, and then I'm going to give you some of the story. So, number one on the strategies location 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 um the spot that i found um, is on uh, i think it's 12 and a half acres that i've got permission to hunt on one of my friends it's the the top of a hill where it's flat sort of in his backyard area Uh, his yard goes up on a steep hill and then there's a flat on top And I've scouted this place before, never had much luck, until this previous year I learned some more things about what to look for in a location. And I've done episodes on these in the past, but what I figured was the area that I'd found was a travel corridor. It was a a flat top on a hill in between multiple properties. There was nothing up there, nobody up there. There wasn't a whole lot of space up there, but it was a safe, quiet area. The deer would go back and forth from. Now, I set up a trail camera up there um, in the summertime, and I did not have one picture of a buck, not a single one. But that didn't bother me because I had identified this area as a rut cruising zone. Looking around, looking at what was going on, looking at the doe action that was in that area, looking at the cover and everything else, I realize that no, bucks don't live here year round, but they will cruise here during the rut. Number two, habitat improvements. So I was up working in this place in the summertime, set up my stand and my ladder, located the spot where I wanted to be, put in a mock scrape, um, which is essentially a hanging branch overlooking a scrape. The deer would come by They'd put, they rub their orbital glands on their forehead, maybe lick it, maybe swat at it with their front feet, all sorts of things, Uh, and put a camera on it. Within hours, this mock scrape was getting use. And every camera I ever had on it, there was always action going on at this scrape with does. Never bucks, always with does, because there were no bucks living in this area during the summer. But there was a lot of action. Now you might think, well, how's that help you hunting bucks? Well, that made that area more of a hub, more of a focal point. Does walking through that area might detour a little bit. You get more concentration of deer droppings, of deer scent, of just deer doing whatever deer do in that spot. And when there's concentration of buck act, or of doe activity and doe movement and doe scent, you're going to have bucks in that area come the rut. Number three, the wind. The wind is a big deal. Sometimes it's a bigger deal than others. It all depends. Uh, I hunted this place this morning, and I had a, I would call it a, a, a B-minus wind, maybe C+. Plus. One's, uh, about a third of my shooting area that I would like to have been able to shoot was sort of off-limits because of the wind, but I had a good area, a nice zone that I could see, and my scent was getting blown. I'm on the top of a hill. It's getting blown off that hill uh, upwards because of the the rising thermals in the morning as things warmed up. So I was using the wind in order to control that, and I had a number of does even get downwind of me. Not one of them spooked, not one of them uh, even hinted at that they had any issue with with you know walking through that area because that wind or that scent was going up the wind was taking it up off the hillside and the bucks that were downwind of me were also down altitude of me so any scent that they would have gotten would have been minimal and this area that's between properties properties with houses and some farms deer are going to be used to some scent this is not like in the deep woods where um you know deer have never smelled a person before they're used to smelling people because they're all around the area where they live. Number four, scent control. So the the wind is important, but controlling your scent matters even more than the wind does. So for example, how you get to your stand, where you walk, what you walk through, what you wear, how you treat those clothes and those boots can play, can make a big difference in terms of Um, what sent you leave now to hunt where i was hunting today i had to walk through my shooting lane in order to get to my stand i i would prefer to be able to approach from behind or from the uh the downwind side but there was just no way to do it Uh, all the scouting i had done and all the attempts that i'd made to find an alternate route put me walking straight through deer bedding areas which you do not want to do ever so I had to walk right through in front of my stand, and then turn it, turn in towards my stand, and then climb up it. But I took a number of steps and precautions. Uh, in the summertime, I, I just decimated a lot of the the thick brush that was in there, so we got less brush, less things for your shoes and your pants to rub on and leave scent. I was taking um, purposeful steps. I was going, poking my foot up. And then putting my foot down as opposed to dragging my feet so i was leaving less scent because my foot went up and then my foot went down as opposed to dragging it and brushing everything along with it i make sure to keep my boots out of regular areas where they're going to come in contact with things that might leave more scent on them they're in the basement They're they've got their own spot that they go through same with my hunting pants i take some special precautions there just you never eliminate all the scent and you could go to greater lengths than i do but i just did some basic stuff to minimize the amount of scent that those items would pick up and thus drop off as you walked through the woods and then how i walked and the way i walked uh helped that and as i tell you the story in a little bit there were several deer that walked right across my scent trail the the trail that i walked in on only one even noticed it And that one did not alter its behavior. It it looked around a little bit. It kept going. And then it got chased back out by a buck a little bit later. But managing scent made a big deal. Um, Because if I had left a lot of scent or I had just, if I had done some other things differently, I might have spooked some deer and those deer might have spooked other deer and might have cleared that area out. So you gotta be careful and watch your scent. Number three, being still and then knowing when to move. So I did really good today on being still. Um, Excellent, Uh, one of my best days for it I think. Now part of that has to do with the fact that I was relatively comfortable today, so I didn't need to fidget maybe as much as I might normally. The reason I was so comfortable is because I was wearing so many layers because of how cold it was. Um, it was it was great in one way, and I was still cold nonetheless. It was 20, 25 degrees this morning, but I was able to sit still, and my Fitbit actually measured me taking a two and a half hour nap because of how still I was, although with my heart rate... Um, Based on all the action that I was seeing, I don't know how it could have come to that conclusion. But nonetheless, knowing when to be still knowing when to move makes all the difference. I had multiple opportunities to maybe lift up my crossbow, put my scope on a deer, but I knew if I did, there could be repercussions. So let me tie all this together for you. I got to the spot um, half hour before legal shooting hours began. So I got there, I got situated, and then I sat for about a half hour in what I just call resting position. Um, You know, crossbow is on safety, my hand is not on the trigger or on the hand grip. I'm just sitting there in the most comfortable resting position that I can, making sure I'm not using any of the muscles that I would use for what I call the ready position, uh, or resting ready position. So half hour goes by, check my watch, it is legal shooting hours so i put the crossbow on fire i assume what i call the ready waiting position so i've got the stock in my shoulder i've got my hand on the grip not on the trigger but on the grip and i've got my other hand uh, under the the front grip pointed down resting on my knee so if anything were to happen it's just shooting straight into the ground but at the same time, all I've got to do to make a shot is just lift, it t- just lift it up. It's already in my shoulder, I just need to lift it. And I sat there half hour, maybe an hour before anything. And it was a very dry day, a lot of crunchy leaves. I made a lot of noise coming in. Um, even as quiet and, and, and soft and as deliberate as I was being, I even spooked a deer walking in within 20 feet of me and it ran and took off and probably ran 50, 100 yards while it was still dark. Thankfully, if you spook a deer while it's still dark, they don't tend to get as jittered or, or just take off for a half a mile like they would during the day. So part of me wondered, mm, should I just turn around and leave? I've already spooked a deer. But I thought, well, I'm committed. I don't have a better place to go today. I don't have a better spot picked out for this wind. So I'm all in. So I've, I've made it to my spot. About an hour in, I I saw, I didn't even hear, I saw tails. Just two tails in the distance. Turned out to be two doe coming um towards me but at an angle so the closest they got was probably 50 yards maybe 60 yards Uh, one I think was a fawn the other was a mother but it was a probably a year and a halfling and even the big one was just I would say it's just big enough to shoot I didn't want to take a small deer today Uh, I already got one doe I've got meat in the freezer I didn't need to take um I didn't feel like I wanted to take something small; it just wouldn't be worth the time or the money to get it processed. So I wanted to take either a large doe or a buck. That was what I was looking for. The bigger doe was just big enough. Given the right opportunity, I would have pulled the trigger on it. But they just—they just hovered about sixty yards away. And I mean hovered. I mean like an hour and a half. They sat down just in the middle of the of the leaves. They licked each other, they just sort of walked around, they puttered, uh, but they never got closer than about 60 yards. And the crossbow I have will not, will not shoot with any certainty that far. Uh, I have practiced the 50 yards, and I wouldn't want to take a shot at 50 yards unless I had a rest. The bow could do it, but unless I had a rest, there's just, just too much margin, there's too many variables. And they were you know, definitively outside of range, and I didn't have a rest either. So I just sat there watching them and watching them and watching them. Wondering, okay, then just, just turn a little bit, just come this way. Um, even Actually, before they come, I let out a couple of grunts, which I don't normally do. But during the peak rut, that's something that may or may not bring something in if it's close. Uh, so I let a couple grunts out, no action there, and then eventually those two doe came in. Um, while I'm watching them, I hear a little rustling. They're off to my right. I hear a little rustling off to my left. And I'm like, okay, what is this? So I look over, trying to turn my head as slow as I can, because these two does that are hanging out and puttering, every now and then they look in my direction. So the last thing I want to do is spook them, which is going to spook whatever else is around. So I slowly turn my head to the left, and I see um had to have been a doe fawn just just walking up little thing didn't have its spots but i just too small to shoot wouldn't do it wouldn't do it even if it was the only deer i'd seen all year probably uh, i have to be pretty desperate because just not enough meat on it to make it worth the effort or the investment.
1: Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.
2: So I saw this little doe fawn. Comes up from from the left, from beside me. It's about 20 yards. It eventually goes past me and then comes to my scent trail. This was the one deer that noticed it. And she put her head down on the, on the ground, smelled it, and even gave a soft, um, not, I don't know, putt, a soft stomp with one of her feet. She just sort of stomped her foot, looked around, and then just decided, eh, whatever, and kept going. And I was like, oh, I thought I was going to be busted there. So that deer goes off, and I'm watching it. It's at about 50 yards, and I'm thinking, okay, is there another one behind it? Is there another one coming? What's going on? So this deer just sort of hangs out in the brush about 50 yards to my left. I got these other two does about 60 yards to my right. And I'm thinking, okay, you guys need to move along, make some room here. Um, You know, I don't like being surrounded like that by deer because it's too easy for one of them to get spooked. They catch a whiff. The two does on my right were getting real close to being downwind on the non-safe side. The other doe over there, it's like, You know, if you move, if you make a move, if you try to do something, you could get busted. They spook, everybody spooks, everybody's gone. So I'm just watching this, trying to be absolutely still while my Fitbit is registering that I'm asleep with my heart racing. And then I hear some rustling in the distance. And then another 10 minutes, nothing. I hear the rustling again. And then I see this buck. And this buck comes through And it was a little okay it wasn't a little buck it was actually a good sized deer but it had a it had a really small rack um but it had a bunch of points but they were real close together and at different angles it was really cool looking but i could not tell how many points were on either side it didn't stop moving but it came almost straight towards me at an angle off to my left and i'm watching this thing go by and I'm like, okay, how many points is there? Because you have to have three points on one side, not including the brow time. And it got within 20 yards of me, and I still could not figure out how many points that it had. It was just walking slowly. And I had a perfect shooting lane, and I could have, catch this, could have lifted the bow, got my scope on it, and maybe gotten a better view of the antlers. But I decided in the moment that was a bad decision. And there were multiple reasons. Number one, if you cannot tell if a buck is big enough to shoot at 20 yards in broad daylight, it's not big enough to shoot. Uh, just don't do it. It's not even worth it. If you can't tell at that distance in broad daylight with it moving really slow, then it's, it's just you ought to pass on it. That's just the rule of thumb. Number two, if I lifted the bow chances are those two does off to the side would have seen me. So if I would have spooked them, you can be sure that he would have spooked, that other doe off to the side would have spooked, and anybody else around would have spooked at the same time. And then number three, that uh, buck might have looked up at me. If he wasn't big enough, he probably would have seen me draw, and then he'd have been spooked. So the, the 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 scenario that I was in, because of he was coming towards me off to the side, I figured if I lift the bow and don't shoot within a second, then I'm going to spook somebody. So I decided that, you know, wasn't worth the risk. I wasn't sure it was a shootable deer, which means it was probably too small to begin with. And the, I mean, you only, you, you had two decisions, either shoot the deer or you ruin your hunt for the day. So because I, I could just, from being that close, still couldn't tell, I didn't take the shot. So then it walked by. A little while later, I hear some other rustling. I look up, I see another deer in the distance, farther back than where the, uh, the two does off to my right are still hanging out. And it must have skirted all the way around them. And it comes right across in front of me, down to the left, and it is chasing that little, that little fawn. And this was another buck. Um, It was probably, it looked like a three point. I mean, it was, it was obviously not a shooter, not legal to take, but it got right up to that doe and it chased her right past me within 20 yards. Could have shot either one of them if it was legal or I wanted to. I mean, they were right there, chased her right out. They're gone. So I'm sitting there like, okay, well, I guess that's good. Right? If I had a deer chase away a deer, that's that's helping me. And those still does they're still those two does are still hanging out out to the right. So I'm sitting there again motionless. My Fitbit says I'm asleep and still watching all this go on, watching it. Eventually, those two does to the right, they just keep going further off to the right and they crest the hill that I'm on the top of and they disappear. Literally hour and a half, maybe two hours them just hanging out, and then they finally disappear, which is like bittersweet, because I'm like, well, I'd have shot the one if they had got close enough, but then I'm thinking, it's good that they're gone, because now I can move a little bit, I needed to to stretch my one arm that's been holding this crossbow in the ready position for two hours, so it was good I was able to get a little bit of break, but um, now they're gone, and I thought, well, they didn't spook, they might come back, you never know, so I'm hanging out. And I look out way in the distance in a bunch of brush, maybe 100, 150 yards, maybe even a little more than that. I see another deer. Um, and I could tell this one was a good size. And I couldn't tell if it was a buck or a doe, but I saw it out there. And then it eventually got lost in the brush. So I gave out another grunt call. Nothing. So I'm watching, I'm watching, I'm watching. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Eventually, I see another fawn coming from that same area after about a half hour from where that doe or from where that deer was. wasn't that deer, but it was, a, it was a fawn. And this fawn's about 100, 150 yards away from me. And I see it go all the way from the left, all the way beside me, all the way down the hill until it disappeared. That probably took 10, 15 minutes. And then I see behind that... A buck. Now this buck was a shooter. It wasn't that big, but you could tell from the distance it was big enough, from 150 yards. And it's chasing slowly after that fawn. Now this is a different fawn, I'm pretty sure. This is a different buck, I don't think I've seen this one yet, and it's chasing this little fawn. So I put out a couple grunts, just try, maybe I'll get his attention, bring him in, nothing. He eventually went, followed right where that fawn went, down to the left, disappeared. And now I'm sitting there. And like, okay, there's no deer around. Every now and then you hear something, but there's some squirrels about. There's some leaves falling. There's a bunch of cover. You really don't know what's going on. There's some birds that fluttered in and out. So there's a little bit of noise. So you're always on edge. So I sat there, I want to say maybe a half hour with with nothing going on. At this point, it's closing in on about 9.30, uh, maybe a little later, and I'm starting to debate, okay, should I move around a little bit? Should I eat a snack? Should I get out some extra hand warmers? Because I am freezing, and I'm sitting there. I'm not even hungry. I am just no, if I eat something, it'll help me warm up. So I'm debating what should I do? Should I stand up and stretch a little bit? And then I thought I heard something to the left of me. I thought I heard something. So I pick up the bow. I'm in ready ready position again. And no, no noise at all. And I'm, I'm, I turn my head. And then I just see just a little bit of movement. And I look down and it's a buck. And I could just, it's at 30 yards. And it's just coming up, getting closer. It's going right where that one little fawn went that I could have shot earlier in the morning just maybe not following the exact trail, but in that same shooting lane to the left of me. And I just saw, I said, oh, this one, this is a keeper. So I'm watching and I'm watching it. Now I want everything in me, wanted to just pick up the bow, put the crosshairs on and take a shot. And it's walking slow. It's got its head down most of the time. It's not on high alert, but it's walking, putting its head down, looking, looking forward, putting its head down. It's a slow walk. And I know that if I just draw, there's a great chance he's going to see me. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Now it's in prime shooting lane. And once he walks too far, it's game over. He's going to go right in the brush. I'm not going to have a shot anymore. But there was one tree. One tree. So I decided as soon as his head gets behind that one tree, I'm going to draw And he walked right behind that one. Now, he's not like, he's not puttering like those two does were. I mean, he's moving. So I had a split second. So his head goes behind that tree. I draw up. As soon as my crosshairs got on the right spot of the deer, middle of the deer, just right behind the shoulders, I pulled that trigger and let the arrow fly.
1: A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life.
2: Yeah, baby. 6'8 Western. I'll over there, baby. Right there.
1: Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.
2: I mean, I did not wait. I did not give him a chance to look at me. I did not give him an extra second or two. As soon as he walked behind, his head went behind that tree. And it was like an 8-inch tree. I mean, it's just enough that he's walking behind it. His, his his eyesight's going to blur from that motion to give me a second, and that's all I needed. Normally, I would have taken a, a little extra time, stay that shot, get that crosshair perfectly right where I wanted it, but I didn't want to take the chance on this one. He was 20 yards, 22 yards maybe, and as soon as he came out, crosshair went on it, that arrow fly, heard the hit, he reared up, feet shuffled arrow went right through him and then he started he started this uh I don't want to call it a sprint it was more like it it, it was a a reckless sort of run he ran straight out he turned to the right he, he curved around some cover and then I watched him go down probably total of 50 yards 60 yards of running maybe and I watched him just tumble down and And he made a couple attempts to to get back up, but just, it was over. And um, I was at a rage, hypodermic, expandable broadhead, went right through him. Uh, I'm sitting there shaking, you know. It's amazing how you can go from complete calm to just adrenaline rush in literally three seconds. And I'm sitting there like, okay, what do I do? And I'm so cold, like it's hard to stand up, you know, like you're stiff. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do first? What's the, what, do I, what do I need to do here? So first thing I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this bow and this backpack and, and let that down. So I let my bow and my backpack down on my rope. And as soon as the bow and the backpack hit the ground, I realized I still have the quiver up here with me. I'm like, ah, oh, what am I going to do with this? So actually I, 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 I pulled out one of the arrows, looped it the quiver over top of the uh the rope, pulled the drag rope at, at at an angle, and then literally my quiver slid down the rope sort of like a zip line and then bumped against my bag on the ground. So that worked out. I climbed down, still shaking. When I get down, I see there was another buck behind the buck that I shot. And he's just watching me. He's probably 30 yards away. Just watching me. Not even 30. Could have shot that one too. It was about the same size as the buck that i shot um i think the one i shot was a little bigger in terms of the antlers but his buddy might have been his brother i don't know just watching me like what are you gonna do now and i'm on the ground i'm looking at him i'm like do i pull out my phone i pull my phone out i'm gonna call my dad so he can come with the truck and help me get this thing out of here because i'm there with a you know with a little car And this buck's just watching me. Eventually, he sort of puttered out and and walked off over the hill behind him. So I go out. I'm like, all right, well, first things first. I watch the deer go down. I know where the deer is. I want to give the deer a little bit of time because, you know, you just read enough news articles where Hunter walks up to a deer who he thought was dead. The deer gets up and gores him with his antlers. You know, you just read too many of those. So I'm like, all right, got to give a little bit of time. So first things first, let's go see if we can find the arrow. So I go right over to, to where I shot him. He had his feet shuffled. He made a bunch of mess in the leaves. I was able to see the exact location where it was at. Uh, the arrow went straight through him, double lungs, stuck right into a fallen tree branch. I mean, the was just sticking there, you know, in the air. And I'm like, oh man. So I looked at it real close. I mean, it's just is the perfect shot. You could tell looking at the arrow and, um, you know, eventually I, I pulled the arrow out of the branch, looked at it. The broadhead, I think was still in good enough shape to reuse. Um, and for what that cost, it ought to be, you know what I'm saying? But, um, got the arrow, I pulled out, got my range finder. That's how I knew exactly what the distance was. So I did the range finder to the base of the tree and the top of the tree just so I knew what that was at. So then I went and made a few phone calls, eventually got a hold of my dad, and uh, he started on his journey out there. And I went over and got some pictures of the deer. Um, and you can those will be posted in the show notes of this episode, newhuntersguide.com. Uh, you'll be able to see the pictures of the deer. So it was about, and um, depending on how you count it, right? So there were eight points. So it was technically an eight point. Uh, the brow tines that are technically points were quite small so depending on what jurisdiction you live in and how they're going to categorize or count a point it might have been a six point might have been an eight point hard to say but i was ecstatic Uh, it wasn't the monster that i was looking for that i had on my camera that i had been been tracking since august but i'd put a bunch of sits out in multiple locations never found him this guy walked by and i was hungry so Uh, really excited about it, really happy about it, took some pictures, tagged it, went to drag this thing, and I was like, oh my goodness. This was the heaviest deer I have ever tried to drag. and I just needed to move it a little bit of distance to the spot that I'd picked out to field dress it, and uh, it was like I was dragging an elephant. I mean, it took everything in me to move it a couple of yards before I field dressed it. So excited about it, got everything taken care of, got that out of there. But these five strategies all came together to make it possible, right? Had the right location. Didn't seem like a good location based on how your, your first assessment, but digging a little deeper, understanding deer habitat and how deer operate a little more, I figured that even though no bucks lived here in the summer, come the rut, they would be all over this place. And that's exactly what happened. I saw, now, there's a chance some of the bucks that I saw could have been the same one moving around. But I had, you know, one, two, three, four, five, five buck sightings. Now, they weren't all shootable, but there were five bucks there that I saw. And, um, you know, that's exactly the kind of situation. Actually, I saw more bucks than does that day. And, um, you know, it was exactly what you wanted it to be, but I was just able to read the habitat. i made a couple habitat improvements, which I think, uh, focused and concentrated the doe movement on certain areas that were close to my tree stand, which just improved the odds of bucks getting into those same areas. Cause where you have scent, where you have doe activity, where you have does doing what they do, then that's just going to attract bucks i read the wind, I had a good setup, I had a good situation, I was able to to pick the right stand for that day, which was much better than the other stands that I had for that particular wind, and I was able to set up in that stand to to look towards the strong side where I was downwind of, so that worked out, scent control. I'm convinced that just the, the simple precautions and approach that I made coming in there Made the difference between spooking several deer that crossed my scent trail. And uh, I think there was one, two, three crossings of that scent trail. Didn't spook anybody. Actually, no, there's probably five. Um, But didn't spook anybody. That worked out. And uh, I also took, I I didn't mention this earlier, but I took a number of precautions in terms of how I was dressed, the way that I layered, uh, even the way that I breathed. Um, you know, people will debate this, but my opinion is when you breathe out of your nose, you're breathing out a little less scent than when you breathe out of your mouth. Because, uh, I'll be honest, if I can taste my bad breath in my own mouth, then I know that that is going to have more odor than what's coming out of my nose. So just work even on the breathing to minimize that scent, to, to minimize spooking anything downwind. And then... Uh, was very cautious about be- about being still and when to move and when not to move. And I'm convinced also that made the difference. That knowing not to move at certain times um, saved my hunt from being blown up on multiple occasions with those two does, with um, those other deer that walked within 20 yards, and then finally on the buck that I shot. Knowing when to move and when not to move made all the difference. Because one wrong move you know, there's a little bit of movement you can get away with. You can turn your head a little bit. You can do some things. But if you're going to uh, lift up a a weapon and, and s- get the scope on them, you're going to make a lot more movement. And there's a good chance that you could be seen, especially when you got three deer looking straight at you from different angles. So that's a big deal. That makes a difference. So all these things came together. So I hope this was helpful for you guys. Uh, I hope you got something out of this. Um, I hope this was more than just me sharing the story of a successful hunt. but I hope you could see how these tips and these strategies, things that I've been talking about for the last couple months on this podcast and I have a few more to go um, through the end of the year as we talk more about deer hunting. But I hope that's helpful. Hope that gives you guys some input and some tips. And I hope that enables you to get out there and be successful and take a buck or take a doe or whatever you're after. Uh, so till next time, make sure you head to the newhuntersguide.com. See the show notes, see the pictures. Uh, but God bless you guys, and go get them in the woods.